I will now be reading John 12, 20 to 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who dies or who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had a thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from heaven, will drop all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. But I love that first question. A group of Greeks who have come to celebrate the Passover. So they're people that are seeking God, but they're not within the Jewish tradition itself, come to Philip and say, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And I think that statement, I think that desire on their part really is kind of the central desire of Lent. We want to see Jesus. And it's not just about seeing Jesus for these Greek-speaking people. It's about knowing him, experiencing him, coming to see him for who he is. And I really believe that that is ultimately everyone's desire, that they would see and experience Jesus. I'm just going to invite you, short prompt, just raise your hand if you want to see and experience more of Jesus. If that is something that reflects a heart's desire for you in your life, okay? But I also think it's not just us gathered here in worship. I really think all people want to see and experience Jesus. They just don't know it yet. People around this world are desperate to know that there is a God of love who exists. People in our country long to know that there's a God who sort of brought our country into being, but he's still living and active in this world. People in our county are desperate to know that in the midst of economic challenges and other types of challenges we face, that there is a God, that there is one who ultimately has a plan and purpose for their life. And in the people that we connect with each and every day, I really believe at the core of who they are, there is a question and a desire to see Jesus. They just may not know it yet. So how can we help? 
The Greeks come to Philip and they say, Sir, we want to see Jesus, and I love what Philip does. It says, Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. There's kind of like uh, the childhood game of, of uh, uh, phone where, um, telephone, where you tell one thing to one person and you hope the message is passed to the next person, right? And after it goes around the circle, about 10 or 12 people, you end up with sometimes a totally different message. But here, we see what, that the message is transmitted clearly. Philip tells Andrew, and Andrew goes and tells Jesus. Why these two? Philip's name actually was a Greek uh, name. His name uh, wasn't a Jewish name. It was a Greek name. And so maybe they knew that name was reflective of who they were and and being Greek-speaking people. But there's also something about Philip and Andrew. Philip, we're told in Acts 8, was one who uh, became an evangelist, went and shared with a, a person on the side of the road, uh, and, and told that person about Jesus. He was somebody who witnessed to Jesus often. And Andrew was a quintessential bringer. If you remember, when Jesus was with a great crowd, roughly 5,000 men and plus women and children, and at the end of the day, the disciples came to Jesus and said, send them away. And Jesus said, you feed them. Well, it was Andrew who went and found a small boy, we are told, that had five loaves and a couple of fish, and brought that boy to Jesus. And Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish and fed the 5,000. If you remember, Andrew was the one that first encountered Jesus and came and saw Jesus and spent some time with him. And it said, the next day, Andrew went and told his brother Simon, Peter, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew brought these Greeks speaking people who wanted to see Jesus to Jesus so that he could connect with them. And what we find is, as Jesus connects with these people, he's quick to recognize that with the world starting to come to him, with people outside of the Jewish tradition coming to see him and wanting to know who he was, it was his time. Because his ultimate way of reaching the world was to die for the world. And in Jesus' death, we ultimately find the source of life. And here in this passage, there are six different things that stand out about the death of Jesus, as John points to it here in Jesus' message. And the first is that the death of Jesus is the death of Jesus is the time when he is glorified. In verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What he means by this is this isn't the time where Jesus is going to take power and lead them out from under Roman uh, rule. No. Jesus was going to be most glorified by his death. What this means is that it's Jesus' death on the cross that most fully reveals and shines light on who God is as a sacrificial God of love who's willing to sacrifice his one and only son to be in relationship with us. The cross... That time when Jesus was most essentially humbled and it went through the agony of death for us is actually the point where he is most honored. Why? Because in John's gospel, the crucifixion and the resurrection are intricately intertwined. Jesus' death is a source of vindication to life. We celebrate the fact that he died for us. We do that because we ultimately know that while we're just starting Lent, Easter's coming. 
And Jesus is one day going to be raised from the dead, as he already has been. In Mark 10, 45, it says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' purpose was to come, and his hour was such that he, it meant to point to everything that he was ultimately going to accomplish. For Jesus to be glorified was to speak of his death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection in exaltation. Secondly, Jesus' death is a source of life. I tell you the truth, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, unless it dies, it remains itself uh, life alone. That, that The life is contained only within Jesus. But for Jesus to die, it ultimately is what leads to and produces life for us. The principle of life through death is seen in the plant world. The principle of life through death is seen in many different ways. But in the plant world, the kernel must perish as a kernel if there is to be a plant. And this served as a metaphor for Jesus' own life plan. He presents a picture that he would sacrifice himself, but in his sacrifice, life would come for us. Jesus would die the penalty for our sin, but also show his power over death. His resurrection proves that he has eternal life. Because Jesus is God, he can give that same eternal life to all those who believe in him. Jesus came to die for the world and ultimately draw the world to himself. Third, we're told the death of Jesus is an example of sacrificial service for us. The man who loves his life will lose it, he says, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus talks about life here in two ways. One in the Greek is psyche, which is life like physical life, and he's basically saying his physical death is going to lead to resurrection life for those who follow him. But also, it leads to a fullness of life, a different kind of life, a life that finds fulfillment through sacrifice and through service. Jesus shows the pathway to us to live a life of fullness by giving ourselves away. And Lent is often a time where we might sacrifice ourselves in some way. Sometimes people give up something or maybe you take something on. But in doing so, we're meant to identify with Christ's ultimate sacrifice, that he gave up what is most valuable to him, his very life on earth, for us, so that we could know life. But that's meant to be a pathway for us, a pattern, a practice. When we enter into an experiential time of response here in a few moments, one of the stations, along with the opportunity to receive the imposition of ashes will be in the back corner and it's an opportunity to have your hands anointed with oil in the shape of a cross to commit your hands to service what might that look like in sacrificing yourself some friends and i just helped somebody move in across the street this last week they lifted burdens up to the second floor for that person as they moved in sometimes it's coming alongside and helping somebody, giving them a helping hand, we might say. But the anointing act is one of symbolism 
of committing ourselves to sacrificial service, of laying our own lives down to experience life in him. To love one's life here, Jesus says, is ultimately to concentrate on one's own excess to success. It is to lose what matters. Supremely, though, the principle is that we are meant to lose our life rather than try to hold on to it in order to ultimately experience it. Christ's pattern of sacrifice is meant to lead us into a new way of life. The one who readily sacrifices his life will keep it for eternal life, we are told. The impending cross then involves the disciples in the same way it would involve Jesus. He was informing him them that this is a model that they would eventually follow. Fourth, the death of Jesus is affirmed by the Father and glorifies him. Now my heart is troubled, Jesus says. What shall I say? Father, save me for this hour. No, it is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In John's gospel, he doesn't have the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus in his agony wrestles with his impending death. This is it for John. Recognizing Jesus being troubled in spirit, knowing what is coming, pointing the way to his death. Is he going to turn from it? No, because he knows his sacrifice is ultimately what's going to honor and glorify God the most. Because God's going to show his amazing power in raising Jesus to life. And it's through the cross that is the ultimate window into the person of who God is. It's through the cross that we ultimately see how full of love God is for us and how utterly committed he is to us. The hour that was impending for Jesus was an hour in which he was going to most fully honor and glorify God. For Jesus to turn from this time would be to say that I don't want to fulfill my purpose for life because it's just too hard. And it was going to be hard for Jesus just as it is often hard for us to fulfill our purpose for life. Yet the hardest thing he was about to go through, the most shameful thing, the most humbling thing, would be the thing that would most honor God because it would bring many sons and many daughters to glory. Jesus adhered boldly to his original purpose of completing the mission of God that God had entrusted to him. His resolution was final. He was that committed to life and giving life to you. God's purpose was to glorify Jesus, but Jesus' purpose was to glorify and honor God. Fifth, the death of Jesus will draw people to himself. In verse 32 to 34, it says, But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus is clear. The Son of Man is the one who sacrifices himself. He serves the purposes of humanity in lifting us up through his death on the cross and drawing people to himself without regard for nationality, ethnicity, or status. Jesus longs to draw people to himself. And we might say the whole purpose of this season of Lent is to be drawn to Jesus and to help other people be drawn to him. 
Finally, six, the death of Jesus enables us to become sons, and I'll say daughters, of light. Jesus said to them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons and daughters of light. We know, those who have been reading along in the Gospel of John, that light is a significant theme in his Gospel. At one point, John says that the light has come into the world and the darkness has not understood it or not overcome it. In one place, Jesus says about himself, I am the light of the world, and all who walk with me will follow my light. The good news is through Christ's death that we honor and through which we worship him, we become sons and daughters of the living God. We become children of the light in the midst of an increasingly dark world. Friends, the opportunity for Lent is to not just live and honor God directly ourselves, but it is to honor God as light bearers, as those who shine Christ's light in the midst of an increasingly dark world. My question I leave you with is, how brightly is your light shining? Can others see Christ in your actions? As we look at these various impacts, or we might say consequences of Jesus' death, my question is, which stands out to you? For me, the opportunity to be a child of light (laughs) sounds like a tremendous privilege to know that Christ's light shines into our lives. But as light bearers, we can become ones who shine his light. Jesus would say so much at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that you are the light of the world. So friends, even as we connect with Jesus this evening, even as we honor him for his sacrifice, even as we prepare our hearts through the season of Lent to continually draw to him and to draw near to him and see more of him, may we also prepare our hearts to shine his light into the lives of others in this world. Amen? Amen. As we prepare to respond to the message tonight, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing the first two verses of this song, and then Jonathan will continue to play instrumentally. And during that time, you're invited to respond to the message. As I indicated, there are three different, well, really four different stations in the sanctuary. Two are in the front. Both Pastor Greg and I will be at two of the front corners to impose the ashes upon your forehead in the shape of a cross. That is a sign and symbol of your, identi- your desire to identify with Jesus, to belong to him through his sacrifice for you. It is a recognition of our own mortality that someday each one of us will die. In fact, today I got a call from one of my friends whose grandmother is on hospice and could go home to glory anytime soon. And she said, would you go and take the ashes over to my grandmother today? She needs to know that she's, gonna, she's with Jesus and is going to be with Jesus. And after imposing the ashes on her and praying over this gal. Her daughter turned to me and said, she knows. She knows where she's going and she's ready. We don't know how much time we have on earth, but if we identify with Jesus in his death, we can know that what awaits us is life. The other stations include one in the back corner, uh, 
Rob and Vicki will be present there just to pray for you, to ask God's blessing upon you during the season. They're members of our worship prayer team, and they would love to pray with and for you. We invite you to visit that station. And the last one, as I indicated, Dave Anderson and Morgan Rumpler will be in this back corner with anointing oil. And they would love to anoint your hands in the shape of a cross as a way of setting up your life apart for service to Jesus, to entrust your hands to him, that your work for him may give God glory and honor. So let us prepare our hearts as we sing the song, and as we prepare our hearts to respond to the message and identify with all that Jesus has done for us. You unravel me with the melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. 